women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. Welcome. This episode is sponsored by my co-author course. I'm looking for 10 to 16 writers for the book, Step Into Your Power. You write your story, or I will interview you and turn your interview into your story. Use your story, only 4,000 words, to inspire others. Speak on stages, do workshops, or become an authority. Contact Esme today at EsmeLawrence.com. And now, my guest is a magna cum laude, Phi Delta Kappa graduate of Amherst College and the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He has been practicing holistic medicine and stress management for close to 50 years. He lives in Maples, Florida, where he is offering private stress management consultants, volunteering as a health educator at St. Matthew's House, and serving as a clinician for Cigna Health. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bergman. Dr. Bergman, it's so nice to see you. Thank you, Esme. Oh, it's an honor um, to have you on my show. So I want to go, I want to go back to you. Um, what kind of child were you? And what, and, and so what challenges did you have as a child? Well, you know, I guess um, I always wanted to be a doctor. Somehow, um, even when I was young, I was watching um, TV shows with uh, Ben Casey and Dr. Kildare. And I had, um, as, a, as a child, my, I had a very strong influence from my family particularly uh, my father, who was a dentist, his father, my grandfather was a dentist. My uncle was a medical doctor. And, and so I really was kind of, um, I had kind of the perspective on wanting to be in the medical field and, and wanting to be of help to people. And uh, I was very idealistic. And uh, I was raised in a, in a Jewish home, although it was more kind of culturally Jewish. It wasn't really like a lot of religion, but I sort of, um, at the prompting of my uncle, um, my folks sent me to Hebrew school and, and, um, and I really was kind of interested in, um, in why we actually, as a, as, as a Jewish person, why we didn't read the New Testament. And as I was growing up, I, I had friends in high school who were Christian and they introduced me to, uh, to the Bible and Jesus and, so there was some kind of conflicts with my family, not serious, but just where, you know, I was like very idealistic and kind of very open-minded and was willing to really kind of explore whatever was out there. But through it all, it was really kind of a, a career in medicine that, uh, that was the, the, the stable point for me. I was, you know, very, not really a great student as a, as a youngster. I mean, I had my challenges in, uh, and doing well in school, but somehow I began to kind of blossom in high school from the point of view of really taking an interest 
in learning and being able to uh, kind of understand things and began to read more and actually became a pretty good student in high school. And then as a result, um, you know, I, I could go to a good college and from there prepare to, to go to medical school. And I had, a, I had a pretty good background. There's no doubt about it. I had parents who were very loving and very supportive and uh, uh, the influence from my uncle in terms of the medical field. So um, even though there were some challenges as I, in my teenage years, I basically had a very good childhood. Where I began to um, have some more serious problems was when I kind of became a hippie. Uh, it actually, for me, was happening when I was in medical school. Again, it was partly uh, a kind of idealism, you know, kind of open-minded to explore everything. But, um, and I think I probably got into some difficulties, you know, with kind of the hippie lifestyle in those years. But I still pursued my interest in medicine and uh, graduated from the medical school at Columbia University. And and uh, through that, um, I kind of became interested in a more preventive, holistic approach to healthcare. So you were destined as a child to become, a, um, you know, a doctor in the medical profession because your fam left your family's history, and then of course you weren't a good student, um, you know, growing, you know, as a, as a as a young child, um, you know. But then you found your way um, in high school. So what were some of the challenges that you had in high school as a young man? Well. You know, in high school, um, I really wanted, at that point, it was clear to me I was going to have to really work hard to get into uh, medical school. And um, so I began to kind of really focus on, um, on do well enough that I could get accepted to medical school. And um, I think in some ways, I, I really enjoyed high school, but I kind of maybe became more of a kind of it wasn't necessarily the most balanced approach um, because I was so focused on really uh, on really doing well enough to be able to uh, to go to a college and and eventually get into medical school. So I think in some ways I remained very open minded, but still I wasn't necessarily, you know, it was uh, it was a challenge to be able to really kind of be a balanced person. Right. So um, what was the point um, in high school that you, you said to yourself, if I want to go into medical school, I better start studying. What point was that? And what brought you to that um, point where you, you say, I need to get better marks? Well, I think I kind of, uh, my mother was a very strong influence in my life. And um, she could see that, uh, although I had this kind of interest in medicine, even from when I was a child, that somehow I wasn't taking my studies that seriously. And uh, she kind of pointed me in the right direction in terms of academics. That's when I really began to focus. Right. And so in high school, you were just mainly an academic um, young man, or did you try and do other things in, in high school? Yeah. I mean, I was like the editor-in-chief of the uh, our high school yearbook, and um, but my focus was pretty much on, at that point, getting into a good college, going to a good medical school eventually. And, um, right. you know, it wasn't necessarily, as I say, balanced. I, w I would have been better, better off also getting involved in some sports activities, which I ended up doing in college, became uh, involved with wrestling for a number of years. But um, the focus really was a good college and a good medical school. Right. Now, how did you become a hippie? <laughs> Explain that one. Well, in medical school, it was, it was the 1960s. 
And uh, there was a lot of upheaval going on. I was at the medical school at Columbia University. There was a lot of upheaval at the at the main university campus downtown. We were at the medical school, which was like what 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 was happening um, during that time? Well, it was the war in Vietnam. Right, um, was happening, and uh, there was a lot of uh, social unrest. I had friends who were very much involved in kind of political activism, you know. And then I had other friends that were kind of more interested in uh, in being kind of like a, a flower child of the 1960s. And 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 meanwhile, I wanted to uh, to really do well in medical school. But you know, in the climate of that kind of cultural upheaval, um, either kind of getting involved politically or kind of dropping out from society, that was kind of the cultural context in which I was pursuing my medical education. And I ended up going out to uh, after medical school, going out to um, do my postgraduate training at uh, in Denver, uh, with friends who are kind of more on the hippie side of things, and left my New York uh, political activist friends uh, in the big city in, in New York, and went out to the Rocky Mountains with with that, with that other group of friends. And right. That was uh, that was a time that I, you know, as I look back, I think it was. There were elements of it that were very constructive, but I, I think there was also, you know, that kind of hippie lifestyle was really, was not really healthy as I look back on it now. So give us an example of the hippie lifestyle. <laughs> Just uh, too much marijuana, I, I would say, was the main, was the main feature there. Is that drugs and free love? Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, not to, not to an extreme. I mean, it was basically the marijuana, you know, which right. kind of for me was... You know, I kind of justified it at the time as like, you know, kind of uh, personal development, exploration of higher consciousness. And but I didn't realize at the time, you know, you pay a price for, for that kind of experimentation with drugs. Fortunately, it was not, you know, into more serious drugs. But right. yeah. Well, well, they say uh, marijuana is a gateway to other other drugs. Well, it can be. So. Certainly it can be. I think any time right. that we really begin to look for something outside of our ourselves um, uh, to fulfill our spiritual longing for uh, for the soul development, we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have some some challenges. And when it comes to using substances, whatever the drugs might be, or alcohol, whatever it is, I think that's gonna, at least from my point of view and from my point from you know my belief system based on my experience and what I've seen in so many other people is that the drugs really are very enticing, but um, it ends up you pay a serious price. Now, fortunately, I was able to uh, kind of uh, wake up from all of that, you know, began to read the Bible much more seriously in the early 70s, graduated from the medical school in 1970, and then became much more involved reading the Bible and the New Testament. Even though, as I say, I was from a Jewish background, for the first time I was really kind of identifying with you know, with the wisdom that I was reading in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and really realizing that was, that was the true path for me. Right. So now, um, so tell me uh, a little bit more about, so you coming from a Jewish um, family and uh, believing in the, um, the Old Testament and then now meeting new friends and, um, you know, exploring the New Testament. What did that do to the family when, you, when they realized that you were doing this? Well, it was kind of challenging. I mean, that was one of the challenges that was going on between myself and my family. I mean, I, 
you know, I became kind of convinced that this was not only the right path for me, but, you know, that uh, I wanted to kind of share it maybe a little bit too aggressively with my family in terms of my, uh -huh. my interest in, in the Bible, my interest in the New Testament, my interest in, in Jesus. And uh, it created some, some tension, to say the least. Um, but again, I had a very loving family, not just my immediate family, but also my aunts and uncles. And, you know, they weren't, it's not that they were that uh, kind of, as I said, they were more kind of culturally identified with Judaism rather than it really being a, a kind of religious path for them. But uh, my uncle, he was much more definitely religious and he had a harder time with my interest in in not only uh, the New Testament and uh, the Bible in general, Jesus and all of that, but also my interest in holistic medicine. Here I was a graduate of the medical school at Columbia University, a very, in many ways, very conventional, traditional medical school. And at the same time, I was kind of exploring um, all about homeopathic medicines and herbs and acupuncture and some of these um, alternative at that time we called it an alternative now we kind of call it right. integrative approaches to, to medicine and healthcare. right and so what brought you to study alternative or integrated med uh, medicine um, from the traditional um, me you know, way of um, doctors doing things what brought you you know to look at someplace else well you know i originally I, I, as I said, I had always wanted to really have a career path in, in medicine and healthcare. When I went to medical school, I was very much thinking in terms of becoming an eye surgeon. Uh, they have a great eye institute at, uh, at the medical school at Columbia University, and that kind of was my initial path. But in the third year of medical school, when you leave the classrooms in the first two years and you really go into the hospital for the first time, you're assigned a kind of older professor of medicine. Uh, kind of the preceptor, they called it, a mentor. And uh, he, uh, he would um, bring our little group of seven or eight third-year medical students around the wards of Presbyterian Hospital. And um, Dr. Grokest was his name, and he was a specialist in, uh, in researching rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune illness. And uh, as you know, autoimmune illness, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, other types of autoimmune illness, is when the body takes antibodies that are normally protective against infection and, and, and begins to turn it on the body's own tissues. That's why they call it autoimmune. And uh, he was a specialist in that. He was doing major research in that. But he sat us down one afternoon, our little group of third year medical students. And this was after days of him showing us patients in the hospital with, with serious arthritic problems and autoimmune illness and analyzing the physical exam and the laboratory values. And he sat us down one afternoon and said, never forget that this is a psychosomatic illness. And I was absolutely stunned because when I heard, when I heard him say psychosomatic, I immediately thought imaginary or like, what's he saying that, that the patient is kind of imagining this, this illness? This was after he had shown us the physical exams and the laboratory reports, but he went on to explain that psycho means mind, somatic means body, and psychosomatic means mind-body. So he pointed me for the first time to what we now know to be the mind-body connection. 
And that changed my career path from uh, a career as an eye surgeon to a career path in, back then we called it holistic medicine. Again, we now call it you know, integrative or functional medicine because everything is now based on the science coming more and more together and unifying. But back then it was alternative medicine, holistic medicine, but that, that was the thing that kind of just changed my career path. That one relationship with that one medical preceptor. Right. Tell us a little bit more about holistic medicine, the mind, the body. Well, Holistic medicine is based on a worldview or let's say a mindset that recognizes that the human system is one integrated whole, that we have the body, we have the mind, and we have the spirit. Now, that to me is a more amplified view of what we mean by holistic medicine or integrative medicine, that we recognize not just the physical and psychological elements of human existence, but we also recognize the spiritual elements. But the spiritual element is very much uh, marginalized in, in kind of the, the kind of general consensus out there, even in holistic medicine. People will sometimes talk about the spiritual aspect, but the emphasis is very much more on the mind and the body. I believe that that's very incomplete unless we take into account that we have a spiritual nature as well, that we have higher spiritual qualities, that we have uh, the mind, we have the body, we have the spirit all working together. It's an integrated whole. And when we become ill, uh, our whole system to some degree is out of balance. It's not like an automobile where you can have one little part broken and, and somehow every other part is, is perfect in the car. You know, it's just one little part. Right. You go ahead and you bring it to a mechanic. He finds out what part needs to be replaced. He replaces that part. And, that, and then, you know, the car is fixed. In chronic disease, I'm not talking about an accident, which actually is where um, a kind of mechanical view of the human being makes sense, and trauma and an accident. But when it comes to chronic disease, we're not a biological machine. We have to understand that any part of the body that's out of balance is going to affect the rest of the system in some way. And so... Like compensating, I guess, I mean, right? Like compensating. Yeah. And if, and, if, if, one, is, uh, if one is off, then the, the others are going to compensate, um, you know, and uh, they're all going to be off. Yes. It's a, it's, the whole system has to be in balance. And right. mind, body, and spirit... And that's why we, and I feel that the spiritual element is very important because that I believe is the eternal part of what really we're about as a human being. Right. Um, so how does one, how does one stay um, healthy, um, spiritually, mind, body? How does, how does that work? When you see somebody who's imbalanced, what does that look like? When they're in, out of balance? Imbalance, imbalance first. Yes, yes. imbalance. Well, Depending on the genetic background, which is something that we inherit from our ancestors, that will define the way that the imbalance within the system expresses itself. So for example, we can have uh, genetic tendencies towards, let's say, Alzheimer's or genetic tendencies towards cancer, or we can have genetic tendencies towards diabetes. But that's just the way in which, based on our genetic background and the genetic expression of our genes, which get turned on and off, 
that defines the nature of the chronic illness in terms of what the symptoms are, how it expresses itself, how it manifests itself. But the cause lies in deeper imbalances within the system. And that's why we have to, to get to the root causes of it, we have to look, well, if we're talking about the physical element, we, we have to look at particularly our nutrition, our, our environments, we have to look at the degree to which there may be environmental toxins that are impacting us. We, we have to look at our diet and whether or not the food we're eating because of the processing or the additives might be you know, causing an imbalance. We have to look at the kind of the psychological aspects of what might be, what might be throwing us out of balance psychologically, like stress, for example, you know, is, 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 a, is a very significant cause of stress. Um, actually, it's a stressor. Stress comes... So, so Dr. Bergman, so, what, so explain what stress is. Stress is actually our response to anything which is tending to throw us out of balance. So we call the thing that's triggering the stress response within us, we call that the stressor. Now, a lot of times we think that the stressor is the cause of our stress. But the stressor is something outside that is triggering potentially a stress response within us. The stress response is the tension, is the uncomfortable feeling that we experience. But the cause is not the thing that's triggering it. The cause is how we are relating to that trigger. And that's why I've moved from stress management to stress relief because we actually can, by understanding the nature of stress, that it's a, a potential response to the stressor, but it's how we respond to the stressor. So the power is within us. We can right. be exposed to very significant stressors and still not necessarily experience a high degree of stress. Right. So um, Hans Selle, I think that's um, said that it's not stress that kills us, it's how we react to exactly. it. Exactly. That's why it's very important to draw the distinction between the stress or whether it's an environmental toxin or whether or not it's right. like, let's say, a challenge at work and the actual stress experience, which is how we're relating to that. Right. If it's an environmental toxin, to what degree do we have, for example, the ability to deal with that toxin? Through, our, through the liver, for example, or other detoxification mechanisms that are within the body. If it's, let's say, a difficult situation at work, we can, we can change the way we relate to that situation in such a way that we either feel a lot of stress or we don't feel any stress at all. Right. It's all so that gives us the power because it's not that stress is being caused from the outside, it's how we are responding to the stressor and that's within our control. Right. And I love what you said that it gives us the power because um, two different people can be in a, the same environment and one can relate, um, can manage stress really well and others will go totally crazy and they're, you know, totally stressed out. So it's how we see it and, and how we, we think about stress, you know, and so it's coming and we know stress is always going to be there, but it's how we react to it, how we think about it. So I'm glad you say that because we have the power we, have, we can control how we feel about a situation. And your example where two people might be exposed, exposed to the same stressor, but have a two very different experiences. Outcome, and even yes. within ourselves, 
if we're, for example, maybe not getting enough rest or we're not really kind of eating properly, then our response to one stressor could be completely different than that same stressor after we've had a good night's sleep. Right. So even our own response can change, which proves that it isn't the thing out there, the stressor. It's what we're, what's happening within us, and the power is within us. Ladies and gentlemen, did you hear that? The power is within us, and I, I love that. You know, so then, um, so let's talk about stress management. So then how does someone, you know, um, so I know that we, we talked about the mind and, you know, and it's what we think about stress. But give um, somebody who's out there still struggling with stress, what advice can you give them to, um, to relieve stress? Well, I think the more insight we have about how stress is created within us, the insight itself begins to change how we handle the stressors in our life. So the key, I mean, stress management is basically saying, well, I've got stress, so I want to manage it. Maybe I want to kind of like avoid the situation or I want to kind of like just re release the stress. That's all stress management. But what's much more empowering is stress relief. That's where we actually come to an understanding that we have the power to define our experience, no matter what the stressor. Now, the stressor maybe in some cases could be very, very traumatic. I mean, it could have been, you know, a situation where someone is facing a robbery or a rape or whatever. Stressor can be considerably traumatic, but the person's response to it is still, in a way, within them. And so, um, even in the most challenging situation, a person can see stress in a way in which it loses a lot of its power. And that has to do with just gaining more and more insight that, that the stress response is within us. It's not being caused from the outside. As soon as you think it's being caused from the outside, in other words, that the stressor is the cause of the stress, then you are becoming a victim of your circumstances. So the more insight, so stress management is giving people kind of like tools to be able to handle the stress. What I'm talking about in terms of stress relief is giving people, helping people to gain their own personal insight as to how stress is being created from within them. That is very empowering. Rather than being a victim of circumstances, right. we are basically expressing our, our own inner power. And that's where the spiritual element comes in. Because from my point of view, God is there wanting to help us in every situation, in every moment. But one of the biggest challenges that we have is we may not be thinking of or believing in a God that really is kind of wanting to help us and, and loves us in all circumstances. You know, they've done studies on this, and a large percentage of people who believe in God believe that God is very angry with them, that God is ready to punish them if they make mistakes. And that view of God actually turns out to be uh, quite unhealthy and they they're even proving this now with brain scans and all because if we believe in a god um, who is angry and upset with us and always ready to kind of like uh, punish us for our mistakes or whatever it, it creates fear within the system and that itself is a very unhealthy uh, emotion to carry i mean fear is fine in a short situation you know if you're driving down you know an interstate in a truck swerves in your path, you want to be able to have fear of an accident and really, you know, the stress response kicks in to, to save your life. 
But ongoing fear, ongoing stress wears away. It creates inflammation at the cellular level. And so the more we understand a God of love, yes, that's the key. It's not just believing in God. It's believing in a right. God who is there in every moment. Right. Wanting to help us. A God that's um, kind and loving and caring and we're his children and um, and he wants the best for us. And, you know, and so, you know, you can ask, you know, God for help. Right. But, you know, but he's not going to be angry at you. You know, you have to believe in a God that's loving and kind, you know, and then take your power back. Take take the, the control of your life and know that you can manage stress. Right. And so whatever comes in your, it comes your way, you know that. I can do it. I can manage it. And even if you fail the first time or second time, just if you believe that you can manage um, stress, you know, that will definitely make a difference in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so well stated. So you were talking about the leaky gut. So how, so what's the relationship, the relationship between leaky gut and stress? Well, it's very interesting. Um, the leaky gut is a uh, situation where inflammation that can cause all kinds of problems within the body, especially, um, begins in the gastrointestinal tract. And um, as a result of inflammation, and this inflammation in the gut, I mean, it, part of it, it can be generated just again through very you know, poor food choices, environmental toxins, but the stress response, we, we often feel emotions in the gut. We say, oh, you know, we, we identify the gut with feelings. We, you know, I feel like I got punched in the gut, you know, the gut, because the gut has its own nervous system called the enteric nervous system. And it's very, very sensitive to toxins, to stress, to the stress response. And as a result of inflammation in the gut, which means a low grade damage to the lining of the gut, you know, inflammation, when it's kind of an acute inflammation, like a sprained ankle or a bruised elbow, that will come and go, it, you know, it will heal. But what we're talking about here is low-grade, ongoing, chronic injury to the, to the lining of the, of the gut. And that kind of inflammation in the gut, it creates these kind of pores, openings, that normally are not there. But as a result of inflammation and injury, low-grade inf injury, we develop a kind of porous gut lining, and they call it leaky gut. And it means that things that normally would be kept out of the bloodstream begin to get absorbed. Toxins, bacteria, pre-digested food particles that normally would be kept out through the porous gut lining from the inflammation begin to allow things that should be kept out of the bloodstream to be absorbed into the bloodstream. And this generates inflammation in many parts of the body. And again, it depends on the genetic background. For some people, it'll take more of a form of inflammation in the brain. Other people might take, you know, the form of inflammation in the blood vessels to the heart. I mean, there can be all different ways in which inflammation, inflammation manifests based on the genetic background. But basically, uh, the stress response is one of the major injury causes some of the major injuries to the gut lining, the leaky gut, and from there, it create problems, as I say, in the heart, in the brain. In fact, now there's a lot of research on the gut-brain connection and how inflammation in the brain 
which is predisposing people to early onset dementia and all these kinds of neurological problems actually originates in the gut. So that gets to the point I was making at the very beginning of, of our interview, which is that to be like an expert now in neurology, you've kind of got to understand a lot of gastroenterology. In other words, to really understand brain science, you have to also understand about the science of the gut. Years past, you could become a gastroenterologist and you just focused on the gut and that was that. Or you became a neurologist, you focused on the brain and the nervous system and that was that. Now to become a leading edge neurologist or a leading edge gastroenterologist, you have to learn the other specialty because everything is interconnected. Right. And the leaky gut and gut brain connection is one example of that. Well, that's amazing how everything um, connects. Uh, as you say, you know, the body, the mind, the, the spirit, it, everything's all connected. So back in the day, in the caveman um, day where, you know, we were afraid of getting eaten by a lion. Yeah. You know, and so we, you know, we had, the, you know, the stress, you know, um, the stress, um, we're stressed and then the lion is gone. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, and then of course, we, you know, we, our stress decrease and we go back to living normally. But now, you know, it's like almost like um, people are so stressed out. It's almost like there's a lion behind them every single day. That's right. How does that affect their health? Well, that's it. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, stress was, is a God-given response to danger because there are legitimate dangers out there. But the problem is that we're living in such a way that we more or less are putting ourselves under stress. Again, it's the what's right. being created within us by the way that we are looking and interpreting our challenges, our problems, our circumstances in such a way that we have ongoing persistent stress. This is highly inflammatory in the system and is one of the major causes of chronic disease, no matter what form that disease takes. Right. So I, I was watching um, a few of your YouTube channels and regarding, you know, um, stress. And so and you were saying a lot of um, patients go to, do go to the doctors and they're on um, um, antidepressant and it's because of stress. Well, unfortunately, we're in a time in our culture where people want immediate results. And, uh, you know, medications. Now, I'm not against Medicaid. I'm not against pharmaceutical medication when it's necessary. Right. But I work with so many people that, you know, are looking for an alternative to, to um, prescription drugs. Um, either they are having side effects or not getting a particularly good response and they want to get off of them or people who are just looking to avoid taking them in the first place. And there are just, there are just so many ways in which we can help people to be able to really manage their emotional states. Again, from my point of view, bringing the spiritual element into it is just gives us such an enormous advantage compared to a more secular view of things where you look at the mind and the body, but you don't necessarily take into account there's a God of love ready to be there and assist us. All, all that's needed is for us to recognize, acknowledge, and ask for that help. I mean, in a way, it couldn't be more simple. Not that it's going to be problem solved, but just over, you know, immediate, but it's a process but we want to bring the spiritual element in as much as possible. And, right. and the whole idea is to be able to give people options so that you can avoid taking medications unnecessarily to begin with or get off them if they're having side effects or whatever, or they're just looking for a better way. And those are the people that I work with. And particularly now I focus on people with destructive habits and addictions because that's a major cause, a major stressor 
for the stress response is people just having, you know, an addiction to a substance or to a particular behavior, whatever form it takes. And the brain science on and this is very exciting because, you know, the prevailing point of view is that, you know, we have to somehow solve all of our deep emotional causes that were responsible for creating our habit to begin with. And we have to solve those deep personal problems before we can end the the habit of the addiction. It turns out that's not true. We do have to just understand how the brain creates a habit or an addiction, reverse that process. And then when the habit is no longer a problem for us, then we can get on with dealing with the challenges of our life and the personal issues that maybe, you know, help to form the habit in the, in the beginning, but at least the person will no longer be encumbered with their addiction or with their destructive habit. Right. And so, Dr. Bergman, how do you decrease your stress? Well, I, I just am always turning to, um, to God. And I mean, anytime, the way that I've come, remember I mentioned like stress is a God-given um, signal that maybe there's something legitimately to fear that we need to make, take corrective action. Well, the way that I look at stress, the way I've come to understand it, and now that I you know, teach other people, is that you can think of stress even more broadly as kind of like the rumble strips on a highway. You know, you're driving down and then you kind of deviate a little bit and you start feeling those rumbles on the tires. And that, that tells you you've got to make the correction with the steering wheel, right? Like a warning signal. Right. <laughs> and that's the way I think God intended it, that stress is actually like the rumble strips well, maybe like the uh, check engine light on the, on the dashboard telling us that we've got to take some corrective action. Right. And uh, so in my case, and I recommend it for anyone who chooses to look at it from this point of view, is that that's kind of like a, a signal, that rumble strip, that stress response that, oh, I'm off course. And then think yes. about God, think about and for those who maybe want to just think in terms of a higher power or some spiritual element that works for them. For me, the idea that there's a personal God that loves us and wants to help us in every moment is the, just the most fantastic truth to eventually understand as being true. That's how I personally handle it. Oh, oh, that is awesome because spirituality, you know, believing in God, because I mean, I mean, when, when I f I'm feeling stressed out, you know, I mean, I pray and I said, God, help me, guide me and protect me because uh, as my mom would say, if God is uh, for you, who can be against right. you, right? So it's really nice to know that there's a higher power, um, you know, that's uh, protecting you and guiding you, the, uh, a kind and caring, loving God that wants the best for you. And he's, he's, um, he's behind you, in front of you. He's all around you, guiding and protecting you. So that's, that's a great way for, for me, um, you know, to relieve my stress too, because I believe in a higher power that know that um, no man, um, you know, if, does, if God doesn't want something to happen, it's not going to happen. And uh, so whatever happens in my life, I know that God guide me that way, protected me. You know, even, even though things might, you might think, oh, I, you know, um, I, I missed that. Something happened, um, you know, that I'm, I could have been, you know, hurt, but I didn't because God was protecting me. I, I remember um, a couple of years ago when um, my daughter was in a, in a car accident, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and she, I, like, it was just a, a miracle that she didn't die, uh, you know, because the way the car flipped. And I said, that is God's protection. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and oh, oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Bergman, what would you like to share with our audience today? Well, to really have real hope that whatever you're dealing with, whatever a person is dealing with, no matter what the challenges are, it's not what it may seem to be. I mean, there's, there's uh, opportunities in every challenge to be able to grow through it, to learn from it, and to really advance in our kind of soul development. And um, of course, we want the best for everyone. We want the best circumstances, but life is what it is. And it's for most of us, perhaps every one of us, it's filled with life challenges. But we can be very hopeful that there are, that God is there, that there are insights that we gain from the latest brain science that help us to be able to understand how stress is formed, how unwanted habits are formed, that that understanding and insight gives us a way through all of this so that we can really have much greater freedom, much greater happiness and well-being in our life, whatever circumstances we might be facing. Awesome. And on that note, Dr. Bergman, thank you so much for um, having a great conversation with us today. Oh, absolutely. And um, if folks would like any kind of um, uh, additional kind of opportunity to communicate with me, they can go to uh, to get a, a free complimentary strategy session with me by just going to enddestructivehabits.com and uh, arrange for their complimentary uh, strategy session on ending uh, unwanted habits. I'm Bill Bergman, medical doctor. I help people with destructive habits and addictions, and I'm sprinting to success with Esme Lawrence. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Bergman, for the gift of our audience. And to learn more about um, Dr. Bergman, you can also go to esmelawrence.com. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success podcast. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to esmelawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.